This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, Susan picked 1996's Fargo, and I feel like this should have been a Henny Youngman movie entitled Take My Wife, Please. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Reaching deep for that. <laughs> Reaching deep? Yeah. That was brilliance. That was brilliance <laughs> at, a, at a level that no one has ever experienced before. I just meant before. for, for, the, for the, um, the reference, right? That's, that's pretty far back. think it's that far back i mean this, i don't know performed into the 70s yeah but i don't think most millennials or anyone younger than you know say us would understand well, hey then here's an idea pause go google henny youngman listen to some of his comedy and i'm pretty sure you're going to hear the phrase take my wife please <laughs> don't stomp on the cold open i'm not you, stomping you stomped on, the on cold. it I you st- didn't you didn't <laughs> i don't even know why we do this anymore yeah, you do. I know. Hello, everybody. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Honey, You Should Watch This. It's a podcast where a husband, that would be the guy to my left, um, and a wife, which would be me, um, basically uh, introduce each other to movies that we would not normally watch. In uh. a nutshell, and we get to come on here and discuss them because, you know. These movies usually aren't in our wheelhouse. This week was a was a nice pick because I've actually wanted to watch this movie. I just never have. And probably glad that... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, t- um, not to... I'm not going to say editorialize, but just a personal story. Um, I had uh, really had no interest in watching this movie and was put off even longer watching this movie um, because I... In my younger days, we won't say how long ago it was, but I guess it was in the 90s when it came out. Well, technically yesterday yeah. would be your younger days. Well, yes, true. All right. A little. Inf- mm-hmm. yeah. um, but I used to um, work in a kind of an HR role kind of in college recruiting. It was in the days where um, corporations were scared stiff that there weren't enough um, youngins to go around. Um, so they wanted to um, up their game and, and f- as far as recruiting off college campuses. So we were going to go up to Cornell for a um, a conference um, and an educational session on you know the best ways to you know attract the younger folk and all that. Um, so we had to fly in to LaGuardia. And there was some kind of issue where we couldn't catch our flight a little further up. So um, everybody was scrambling for rental cards, kind of like a trains, planes, and automobiles kind of a deal. And my boss, who I was traveling with, struck a deal with another guy, and they shared a rental car. And I was, I was, you know, in my mid-20s, I think, at the time. And I was like, what the heck? This is a complete and total stranger. And we're driving up to Cornell, which is like nowhere right (laughs) in new york state 
Um, so, you know, they took turns driving and whatnot. And um, at one point we're driving through this very rural area and he starts talking about one of the true life crimes that is supposed to be depicted in this movie. And he said, well, have you ever seen, Far you know, Fargo? And he mentioned something about a wood chipper. And that's when I started like quietly panicking. Like, why would you talk to a complete and total stranger about a murder like because that? Because he was comfortable in his own skin. Maybe, yeah. But... It put me off. Obviously, I was younger, so I was a little, you know, whatever. So it yeah, put well, me it off watching take much it for to a put while. You off anyway. So yeah. Well, what do you mean? It doesn't. Uh, uh, let me hold on. Let me rephrase <laughs> that. It doesn't take much to put you off anyway. <laughs> Anywho, so yes, um, yeah, sure, Cornell and stuff. We, we'll get to all the. Uh, the yeah, happiness that's it, involved in that there well that was before i was really into kind of horror movies and that darker stuff so too that was a kind of freak, okay freaked me out a little bit all right but there's my personal there's your true life fargo referenced non right my not going anywhere anecdote yeah. which probably bored the hell of you right well, we were in this car for four and a half hours, and this guy started talking about this wood chipper for 15 seconds, and I freaked out. <laughs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> what? You did. You said you, you were nervous. Don't look at me like that. Anywho. <laughs> Tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to sit here and stare at the camera. <laughs> All right. I didn't... Uh Put up, put your list together for you of the questions that you need to oh, ask you didn't. me. Oh, uh, you didn't. But I remember the first one. Okay. Yeah. Why'd you have me watch this? Um, well, this is a classic movie. It's on the AFI Top 100 list, the first list they did. Um, it's on their list of comedies. It is on their list of heroes and villains. Heroes and villains? Yes. Marge Gunderson is a, um, a hero. Okay. Down on that list. Okay. So, um, you said you hadn't seen it. So I had not seen it. I figured it was time, you know, given that we went from um, another '90s movie, we'll just jump in this new '90s movie. Okay. All right. All right. So, um, so when you uh, before you, I know you've you've known of this movie, obviously. Mm -hmm. You. I mean, it's, you it's can't hard grow up. To, it's hard to not know about. The certain things that happen in this movie, uh, I mean, the wood chipper being the one, uh, but honestly, that's about the only thing I knew about this movie. So, what what did you expect going in? Uh, I expected a Coen Brothers movie, okay. which which is what you got weird and off kilter <laughs> usually. Yeah, um, um, when I watch the Coen Brothers movies, I always I, there's always a lot of head scratching that goes on mm -hmm. because I they. Um, after after watching this and doing the research that we do and looking up all the trivia and the tidbits and stuff, uh, they're obviously a little bit better filmmakers than I give them credit for. Uh, they have a movie that has won Best Picture, and then they have a movie that was nominated for Best Picture. I guess, unfortunately, I've just seen most of the wrong Coen Brothers movies. I mean, we watched Burn After Reading. Oh, that, that was, was I that did was not horrible. like that, no. Um, and I, I, I guess there's good. a lot of people that do like it, but I just, it was just weird. And, um, it may be, I hate to say this, but it, I, I don't I don't think I'd ever want to see it again, but maybe it does deserve a second look. But there's a lot of things I think pass. that I was, yeah. Hard pass. Hard pass, yeah. Um, um, I, I don't, I, I probably seen some of their other movies, but I can't tell you what they are off the top of my head. But um, I, like, I Well, you Raising Arizona. Oh, yeah. Right. See, I'm not a huge Raising Arizona fan. Really? Yeah. I, oh, my I mean, God. I think it's hysterical. 
it's got some funny moments, but it's not like everybody's like, oh my God, that's the greatest movie ever made. No, it's not. But that's just me. I mean, it's it's funny. I John Goodman killed me in it. He was hysterical. It's Holly Hunter, right? Holly Hunter. Hunter, yeah. Holly and 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 uh Nicholas, uh, I mean, it's it's a, it's a good movie. If it's on, I'll watch it. But I, I mean, I don't own it, and I, I don't, I can't quote it. So really? it just, yeah, it just wasn't. I'll be taking well, these. Okay, well, and... well, I mean, what I expected here, I didn't. I had no idea that that was the plot. I had no okay. idea that she was pregnant. I had no. I, I thought it was literally going to be uh, an hour and a half of just messed up. People dying stuff. I didn't. I didn't realize there was going to be any depth to the movie. I, which okay. I should have. I should have known better from the from the Coen brothers. Uh, I was a little surprised to find out that William H Macy was the bad guy. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, I mean, obviously, you knew that Steve Buscemi and uh, I can't remember his name. The guy that the the, the Swedish guy. Yeah. Who. Um, um, I'm I'm trying to yeah. figure out it's it's Peter uh, Storm Peter Peter Stormar or something like Stormar, that yeah. yeah who I really like who has been in a lot of stuff and he's usually a character actor but he was fantastic in Bad Boys too he was amazing in Armageddon uh, he's in that new Michael Bay movie I think it's Michael Bay called Songbird which is about COVID twenty one or something and it's a lockdown it's Huh. Um, the, if you haven't seen the trailer, watch it. It's kind of it looks like it's kind of a horror movie, but maybe more of a thriller movie. But the basic premise is, is that the entire country has been locked down because we have a plague that's deadlier than COVID nineteen, and some people are immune to it, so they get free movement. But it's 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 like a very fascist, Naziistic. He's but he's the guy that kind of goes from house to house in the trailer that says, "Well, we know you're sick, so you got to come with us." And he's he's just he's got that very evil yet hi type thing that he does. Uh, he's he's in a, I, so I really liked him, and I knew he was in it. I did not realize huh, that he was Woodchipper Man. Uh, but I I mean th- there were a handful of things I expected, and it was but there was a lot of things that I did not expect. I didn't expect it. Um, you want to do the synopsis? Uh, yeah, I'm going right. to try to to make this relatively short. Um, it, Fargo is a a black uh, comedy slash crime drama set in Minnesota in 1987, in which uh, Jerry Lundegaard um, is a car salesman in Minneapolis who's gotten himself into a little bit of financial trouble. Um, so he um, concocts this brilliant idea to have his wife, the daughter of a very rich man, kidnapped, um, and uh, so he can collect the ransom money um, and get himself out of trouble. Um, the kidnapping uh, goes, well, not so much the kidnapping, but it all goes terribly wrong um, when the two thugs he hires to kidnap his wife get pulled over in the town of Brainerd. Um, and uh, they end up shooting a state trooper as well as two um, motorists who happened to be passing by after the shooting took place. Um, so it all uh, goes uh, downhill from there. Um, Marge Gunderson, who is our protagonist, uh, the chief of police, the very pregnant chief of police, um, is trying to solve the murder and ends up uh, running into uh, Jerry as well. Um, suspecting him of a little bit more than um, having a car stolen off of his lot because Jerry does give a car to the two thugs. Um, and uh, it just uh, 
the body count just kind of keeps creeping up from there. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. Um, first of all, let's talk about the reason that he wants to have his wife kidnapped. What the hell could you be doing that you're that far in debt? Because GMAC, he owed GMAC $320,000. Right. What the hell had he spent $320,000 on? Well, the I, I don't know if the plot, it was the fact that, excuse me, Kitty, move out of my way. Little um, bastards don't want anything to do with this room until she comes in here, and then I can't get rid of them. <laughs> um, so I think, the pl- I think the plot was that he wanted to get in on this parking lot deal. So maybe I think he falsely financed some non-existent vehicles. Because um, the other crime that this movie is based on is a man who um, ended up defrauding GMAC of millions of dollars um, and kind of laundering it through other um, companies that he owned. Yeah. So, um, but I think that's that was the the point. Is he wanted to get in on that investment because he wanted to do more and actually have money for himself, so he wasn't kind of under the thumb of his oppressive father-in-law. Um, so I think he he did the the fake financing deal to kind of get him in, and then he was trying to get the money to kind of get him out. I um I took it as he he needed the money for the for the deal to pay off GMAC. Okay. I I, I maybe. maybe maybe I took it wrong. But he had already he had already at that point defrauded them out of three hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. Right. I mean, Jesus, dear Lord! I mean, we're take, we're talking about a movie that takes place in the mid eighties, right? Three hundred twenty thousand dollars. The guy should have owned you know right. Cambodia, right? All right. <laughs> um, so <laughs> this guy, I, I, there's a couple of things we'll start off with. The the Carl Showalter was written specifically for Steve Buscemi. Yes, um, um, Carl, and, Carl Showalter, um, the Gare. Gun, Peter Stormar. Peter Stormar's yeah. uh, was written for him, and Marge was written specifically for Francis McDormand. Yeah. Um, did you know that Francis McDormand's married to Joel Cohen? Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. that I did not know that. She's been married since they've been married together since uh, 1986. Here, let me find it. I have a ton of notes this week. <laughs> um, Francis McDormand and director Joel Cohen have been married since April 1st, 1984. And they have they have one child together. Now uh, that that explains why they wrote it for because this was her breakout role. Oh, well, duh! Yeah, she said she was uh, looking for a role as like um. Oh my gosh! Here we go. We're gonna. Uh, she was looking a role for. She was looking around for a role as a killer or a prostitute, and was hesitant to play a pregnant cop. When I started working on it, I realized it was one of the best gifts that I'd ever been given. Yeah. So. I mean that that yeah, makes she sense. She got a she got an, an Oscar for that role. She did. She won Best Actress. Yes. Where where in the Cohen universe does this fall? Is this like middle? Is this like had they already were they already big names? They were fairly big names because they'd already done Raising Arizona and they'd already done Barton Fink. Um, they kind of Barton Fink. <laughs> Barton Fink. I have not seen Barton. Fink. Have you seen Barton Fink? Um, I, I guess saw him talk about it on The Simpsons. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it is apparently very, very dark, um, uh, and very, um, again, odd for, for Coen brothers, but it is almost, almost to the, that mythological type of, um, writing that they do for say, oh brother, where art thou? And, and that kind oh, of thing. Oh, that was another Coen. Yeah. See, I didn't care for that movie either. So I, I think that movie is fantastic. Um, but they had just done the Hudsucker Proxy. Um, which was a flop. 
Um, that was the one with not, uh, Tim Robbins, right? Yeah, and so they did not. Uh, that did not do do well in the box office. So this was kind of, I won't say their comeback, but this is was their redemption. Okay. Uh, one of the things that you you do know is you've got those three roles that were written for those actors. Um, did you find in your research that William H. Macy really had to lobby to be put into this role? William H. Macy begged the directors for the role of Jerry Lungard. He did two readings for the part and became convinced he was the best man for the role. When the Coens didn't get back to him, he flew to New York yep. where they were starting production and said, I'm very, very worried that you are going to screw up this movie by giving this role to somebody else. It's my role and I'll shoot your dogs if you don't give it to me. <laughs> Well, actually, he had heard that they were doing other auditions in New York City, so he flew. Well, he did um, originally audition for the role of the trooper that gets shot. Really? Yes. And do you know who they had that was going to play Jerry Lundegaard but had to back out because of another movie? And I'll find it here in just a minute. Uh, and that was Bill Pullman. Yeah. I, um, hmm. I mean, you know, you always look at a movie and say, oh, see- it's hard to, you know, you, you can't. You, you, yeah, that's right. per, he'd have been perfect, but I don't know if Bill Pullman would have been perfect for that because I don't think he would have pull, well, pulled I, off that Audrey's sensibility. What I was going to say is, yeah. you can. There's a lot of times you look at it and say, um, you know, blah blah blah. But in this situation, that's not that's not the case. Bill Pullman, uh, yeah, due to unforeseeable circumstances, Pullman had to turn down the part of Gender of Lundegaard. So, um. And and uh, there's a lot of people that say he uh, ad-libbed a lot in the movie, and he didn't. The stuttering and all that was exact. He says it's exactly how it was written. So yeah, I actually was looking at the um, the script last night, so it was all written in. Um, the <laughs> I I don't think you could have cast the movie any better. To be honest with you, the the people that they had in this, they really. They they really did mm-hmm. a good job, and they, I mean, they were the part, which is right. which is crazy. Right. Um. I wonder how long they had to work on their Minnesota accent. <laughs> um. I don't know. I mean, I know that um Francis McDormand did um interview with uh, a police officer that was um who had been pregnant or, or was pregnant at the time to try to understand. Yeah, she, she did, to research that, the role. To research the role. So I'm sure that they all um, got their uh, and she worked on her accent. on Minnesota accent. She worked on her accent with uh, Hooker Number 1. Okay. Remember they're talking, and, and she yeah. referred to her accent and mannerisms as Minnesota nice. Yeah, that was yeah. a yeah. There you go, yeah. nailed it. Minnesota nice, don't you know? Um, yeah, that was, um, and that's kind of, I think the setting in this movie is very, very Cohen-esque. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's quiet. Um, it's got this very sweet veneer, but is violent. Well, right? Minnesota winters are probably pretty quiet. Yeah. I've never lived yeah. in Minnesota. I had some family that lived in Minnesota. Uh, I don't think they did much during the winter. Ironically... This was filmed during the warmest winter in a hundred years, so all the snow is fake, which is nuts. I mean, that's my luck. That's my luck right there. I'm like, hey, all we got to do is go to Minnesota. It's going to snow its ass off. We've got this movie that it calls for snowing its ass off. You show up, and it's 82 in, in February. <laughs> uh, what, um, I think before we get into any trivia, we can probably talk about the... the um, because I know you had a lot of um, scenes where you were like, I don't understand why they put that scene in there. 
So maybe so, we talk about that theme of that movie. So, so I didn't understand. So, what he said, I'm not smart. I'm not saying you're smart. I just wanted to kind of get into that point point of it. Okay, for um, instance. Well, I mean, this whole thing was about greed, right? It was about people who were being who most, were just dissatisfied. You know, things were put in motion because somebody's dissatisfied with the things that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, um, in contrast to that, that the um, the character of Marge who seems fairly, you know, fairly content with her life. Like her and her husband have no stresses about, you know, that they need this or they want that or, you know, they, they're just kind of living their lives. Um, so, and obviously her lecture to, um, is it Greer, Gear? I, I don't know, the, the last remaining thug, um, when she's taking him in is, you know, all for what it's it's all for money who you know what does this matter yeah you know so it's kind of um you you said she's taking him in you got to make sure that you mentioned that that was the cop not the wife uh, (laughs) you were talking about the wife so when you said taking him in you confused me there a little bit i'm not not smart there were a couple of scenes there was i think the scene at the end where it's just there she's back in 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 bed watching tv with her husband and you were like i don't think they needed that but i think that was it you know it was life goes on and for me she's a very interesting character because you normally when you get a cop in a movie it's like they're obsessed with solving the crime and it's you know this hard um almost obsessive um something's wrong they're broken you know that kind of thing where she is just very content Right. And very, very sure of who she is. And that's that's just different from what you normally see in a cop. movie. Well, one of the things that I did learn after this that I didn't catch while watching it. And it it is a testament to why the movie is received as well as it is, is to start with um, Marge and Jerry have the same personalities. You want to get right down to it yeah when they, when they meet somebody they're nice oh hey how you doing yeah. nice friendly uh easy going no big deal until the shit hits the fan and he turns into this ruthless uncaring piece of garbage mm-hmm. that ends up setting events into motion that kill seven people and she is nice and everything until like one of the scenes in the car where the guy's like yeah i got him looking for a dlr and she's like um don't you think that might mean dealer? <laughs> that she's this very. I, I kind of got to question your uh, police in there. You yeah, know. that she's very <laughs> that she's very straightforward and and mm-hmm. gets right down to business and is really good at being what she is. Um, they also portrayed her in a way that is not what's typically for a woman in a movie is portrayed. Uh, one of the one of the scene well the scene where they come upon the accident with the two the two things normally in those movies. What you have is the woman or the, the the lady or the female police officer sees the bodies and she throws up because, oh, my God, it's so gross. She's like, oh, I'm throwing up. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's good to go. All right, mm-hmm. moving on. Yeah, it's morning um, sickness. <laughs> yeah, it's morning sickness. Oh, it's gone. Oh, look, there's two sets of boots or something like that. And they never played yeah. it. They never used the, oh, my God, my water broke trope. Right. So, but it's it's really your antagonist and your protagonist were, were the same type of person they just had you know different areas that they yeah. were that they were rolling down so I, well you know i i would argue a little bit differently on that because i think jerry lundergaard um you get the sense that he is a tangled ball of stress yeah a hundred percent 
um, that the scene, there's a scene um, in the beginning where you're kind of introduced to Jerry at work, um, trying to uh, work with a customer who is taking delivery on a car and, of course, trying to throw in that true coat um, thing in the and um, or true coat service, which is extra five hundred dollars, and the, the customer's pissed because he said he didn't want it because nobody wants that, right? Um, and as the guy is kind of chewing him out, he's very looking very ashamed, right? Looking down on his, you know, even in the script it says Jerry looks down at his lap, right? So he's kind of, you know, acting like oh I I don't know what to do, you know, like he's just a very awkward. Most of the time, I never felt, ever felt comfortable um, any of the times I've watched this when he's on screen because he's just so awkward and you you just, you know, he's never comfortable in his own skin where I think Marge, completely comfortable in her own skin, you know, with, with the exception of maybe one or two times in this film. Okay. So they're, they're foils I, for each other, but... You know, again, it's that Minnesota nice, you know. Okay, uh, I mean that they still kind of have the same personality. Just the fact that he's a, 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 a bumbling mess of garbage, and she's got her shit together. I, I, but I see where you're coming from. The uh, that scene with the with the 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 family and the and the undercoating. <laughs> was that was uncomfortable to watch because we've all but been that there. True cult. Yeah, but we've we've all been there. Number one, number two. That was based on a time when one of the Cohens actually had to buy a vehicle, and they went through the same exact. It was exactly like yeah. that. Oh, that was a huge like kind of a scam kind of thing. Zbart. Yeah, they used to call it Zbart. Yeah, oh, yeah. We can we can put this stuff in your car. It'll stop it from rusting. How much does that cost? Thirty-seven million dollars. <laughs> oh well, let me get let me get two. Yeah. Uh, and everybody and you knew definitely it. want to keep your Oldsmobile because in a few years there won't be any Oldsmobiles left. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely you definitely need that because um, definitely yeah. yeah. I mean it's it, like everybody if you don't if you don't remember it they used to because in 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 the north obviously if you live in the north you know this they salt the roads to make the to make the ice melt or to make yep. the snow melt. And it it's hell on cars. I mean, cars do not last up there because of the salt. It did just rust and rust and rust. So they put this true coat, air quotes, uh, on it that would prevent the rust, but it, it didn't prevent the rust. So you got you got burned once, but it became it became one of those situations where you hear the stories about people going to buy a car and they get you know, hey, let us let us have your keys to your car so we can check it out and see what it's worth, and then they won't give you the keys back. You know, right. games like that. Oh yeah, and it was oh, literally yeah. like, well, we can't we can't let you have this car without the true coat because it was a twenty dollar part they'd sell you 600 bucks and yeah i mean it was it, it, was, was, it was a scam it, it was, was it was a legalized scam it a really huge was huge scam yeah and it was definitely definitely part of that that era and that in that time yep it, and, uh, and and that was that was the 80s yeah um i i there was a line that the father said one time that just oh i know which so one you're cold. talking about and he says, you know, I just want to make sure that um, what's his wife's name? Uh, the I wife, say, wife is it Trudy? Hold I can't on. remember. I mean, the wife and the son are taken care of. You know, um, uh, Jean and Scotty. Jean and Scotty are are, are going to be okay in case something happens. And the father-in-law, the father, the, his father-in-law looks at him and says, "Well, those two will always they will always be taken care of." Jean and Scotty will always be yeah. Taken Jean care and of. Scotty, laden by name, like basically, you're a pile of, you're a pile yeah, of crap. Yeah. And I'm like, damn. I mean, damn. 
This, I mean, this, if, if anything, I think, and, and I know a lot of like, I know when, um, when Frances McDormand, um, was getting ready for the role, she sat down with uh, the the actor who played her husband and they set, they put together an entire backstory on the couple. The Coens told him to do right. that. Yes. And um, so I think with, with um, Jerry, I mean, obviously a lot of this is weighed, right? The, the reason that he is trying to make more of a success of himself is he wants to, cause he, uh, um, he Wade owns the, the dealership which he works for. Yes. So he kind of has job security. Guffsis and something other. But at the same time, he can't get out from under this guy, right? right. He's But he will eventually. I mean, eventually, I uh, mean, eventually when he passes, yeah, his wife's going to get everything. Right. You know? Right. I mean, so... But still, it's, it's her money, not his. And there's a lot, I mean, especially in the 80s, you know, the woman, may, you know, having the money and stuff like that was not, you know, that was a huge threat to masculinity. And, and he's very much a, a kind of a castrated type of character. I was going to say, let's get right down to it. He's not very masculine. <laughs> um, I was he's, really. He's, he's not hempecked, but he's, he's, you know, his father is very. I um, think I think that the relationship that he and his wife have seemed to be really good. Yeah, it's, she's, it's like they she's, get along well, and yeah. they agreed on how they. I mean, they didn't. They weren't fighting. Apparently, they were having problem with with the kids. I mean, the kid. They hinted at it a couple times, right? Mm-hmm. And they agreed, and it acted like seemed to me like it had a pretty solid family there. So, yeah. I mean, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he just wanted more for himself. That's that's all, you know. And, I well, it, it was yeah. I was also well to get to get into the like the movie itself. I the first scene when it happened, obviously, like I said, I was not I was, was not aware that uh, Macy was the bad guy. I, I had no idea. And he walks in and he's like, he walks in that point. He's like, "Oh, hey, how you doing?" You know, and you're like, "Oh, what's going on here?" And they're like, "You're late." You know, and and he has and he has. Oh, he said eight thirty. It must have been a mix up. Okay, no problem. You know, blood. And these two guys are like, "Hey, blah 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 blah." And I'm start going. Okay, where where is where is this going? He walks into a, a bar. That he from a town that he in Fargo. In Fargo, the only time you're in Fargo in this movie. Yeah, and and he up to these guys that he knows are going to kidnap his wife, and he's just like, oh, he, he fucking reminded me of uh, Ned Flanders. <laughs> Oakley Doakley. Oakley Doakley. I'll give you the forty thousand, and we'll blah blah blah. Well, you know, this is something too um, that is very much played upon the the type of character or. That that you see uh, uh, up in up in the mid Midwest, the North Midwest is, you know, it's very people are just naive and assuming that people are going to be of their word, even when they're dealing with somebody as scuzzy as all that, right? And not to say that Jerry isn't scuzzy in his own right, but it's it's a scu- nice scuzzy, right? Versus the gruff scuzzy of the other two guys, and you know, Steve Buscemi and and all that, and and. Um, it's the same thing. I think it's the same kind of fatal flaw that that Marge has um, when she's investigating, right? She's kind of taking people at their word. And um, it isn't until the scene with the guy that she meets in high school that she realizes that people can lie, right? Or not people can lie or people, but maybe she's not looking at what people are saying and maybe is needs to think that people are going to lie are going to lie to her. Yeah. We, right? you asked, you asked which scenes and, and I said at the end of the movie, I said that scene was just, I, I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't do a little bit more with other things in the movie because they put that scene in there 
and that scene was worthless. And the scene is she uh, she's go- she goes to the Minneapolis right. to chase down a lead, and she ends up meeting and running into a guy that she went to high school with. Uh, obviously, if you've seen the movie, you know this. And he's like, "Oh, you know, my wife, she died of leukemia, and this and that. And uh, I always liked you, and blah blah blah." And she's like, "Oh, well, that's great. I'm married. I gotta go." And <laughs> and then she's talking to somebody a couple little bit later, and she finds out that the guy was still living with his parents, and he they, they never he was never married. And she's like, "Oh, but yeah, the woman that he said he yeah. was married to is alive and well, and had been kind of stalked by him for a little while." And and, yeah. and she says, "Oh, well, look at that. I guess um, I guess people can can lie." And that was the catalyst for her to go back to Gustafson right. and push uh, Jerry harder on where right. the car came from, which was a great scene. <laughs> well, and the other thing about that scene, though, where she goes to see the guy from high school is um, it, it's a little out of character from what we see from her, right? Because she's usually a very straight shooter. Um, but you know, from for all we know, she doesn't tell her husband that she's meeting this guy. She gets dressed up for it as much as she's going to get dressed up. And as she comes in, she's looking a little nervous and kind of patting her hair and making sure she looks nice. So I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know if that, I don't think she was looking to have an affair, but there was definitely something else that wasn't quite part of who she was. Well, the backstory, the backstory that they, they cooked up for the two of them was that they were both police officers. They met on the force. And because they couldn't be married together on the force, they decided that one of them had to quit. And since she was the better police officer and detective, he quit and he started painting. Um, uh, there was a scene that they shot uh, where she's talking to some to, to him about something, and the actor that's playing the husband um, was really attentive and everything. And Cohen told him, "We're going to reshoot this, but this time you, you don't care what she's saying. She, you, you're not interested because you're." You're not interested. You just want her to finish so you can say what you have to say. So I think that there, there's a little bit of resentment that's supposed to be between him or from him to her because, you know, he doesn't get to do what he spent his life becoming. And if if you notice, every scene they're together, they're either eating or they're in bed. They're, right, and they're, they're, they're usually... And they're they're not really looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 engrossed in either their food or the television from right. their bed. Or even when they went out to eat, they sat next to each other and not across from each yeah. other. So, so yeah. I mean, there's there's a there's a potential that she might have been looking for something different. Who knows? Um, uh, but it ends up being a very pivotal scene in the movie. And at the end of the movie, I thought it was worthless. I thought it was just wasted time. I'm like, we could have. We could have had some something more with you know Bushimi or, or whatnot, but it shows what I know about movies. I don't even know why you're listening to us. Oh. <laughs> it's a joke, woman. <laughs> um, Hi, welcome to Shoot Yourself in the Foot podcast. I don't know. I do that all the time. I don't have to be on a podcast. Shoot myself in the foot. I've got the greatest tasting feet this in the Western Hemisphere. If I if if I'm in the Western Tate, well, it's because I put my foot in my mouth all the time. Jeez. <laughs> At least, at least the cat's happy. Apparently, yeah, the cat is kind of happy. Um, hey, buddy. The uh, I, one. Of, this is rated as one of the top one hundred comedies. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I I disagree. Really, it's a good movie. It's 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 dark, but I I wouldn't call it a comedy. I I laughed out loud a couple times, but I, I mean. See, Dumb and Dumber is a comedy to me. Well, that's um, that's a different type of comedy, right? Yeah, and, I understand that. But and when I, I watch black, black comedy is not your thing. When I no, I liked I'm going to get you, sucker. Oh, 
that's. <laughs> it's true. You know that they call this a black comedy, but there wasn't a single black person in it. That doesn't mean. <laughs> They had an American, a Native American, though, so I guess that, that works out. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> a dark comedy. Oh, okay. A dark, a dark com- comedy. No, there was, it was pretty good lighting. I mean, it was winter, but... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, get, I, I, I guess I get it, but on the other hand, I don't know. I... I I, I there were I, to me there was a lot of of really kind of funny things and it, it there's and a lot it, of chuckles it was yeah and it plays upon you know that that simple um I, I'm gonna I guess it's a drinking game because anytime we say Minnesota nice just take a shot I guess uh, unless you're driving um or operating heavy machinery if you um, are pull off to the side of the road don't you don't want to spill your drink yeah. um it kind of plays off of that because a lot of the the humor comes from the very simple responses and taking at face value that happens when they're questioning it. Like when they, when she's questioning the hookers that um, had been involved with, with Steve Buscemi and and the other guy's character, um, you know, they ask him to describe what they look like. And she said, well, he's just real funny looking guy, you know, funny looking guy. And she's they're like funny looking how and and then that gets, I don't know just funny looking just funny looking and like there's like nothing at, that that follows after that you know did he have a beard there's what color was his hair you know that guy's it was just a little funny looking and that gets repeated again with another cop you know in the area where they're hiding out that sees this guy and reports him and just says he's that's funny the, looking that's right? the talk between the bartender and the police officer yeah 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 well there's a lot of things that are subtle that yeah. that have humor involved but it's not like a laugh out loud type thing when she went to minneapolis and she walked into the, the restaurant the hotel she walks up she's the only person in the lobby and there's five five people at, at work in the hotel and she like um which the girl goes uh how, how can i help you and she kind of looks around and she goes oh it's you okay there's there is a, a lot of little things but right I, this little awkward almost comedy man I, I dark humor might go above my head a little bit too i i know that like even though this movie, I did chuckle out loud several times. Like when the scene where um, uh, Carl kills Wade. Uh, I mean, you shoot the guy like eight times, and then you kick him. Well, he was pissed. I know he, he was got pissed. shot in the face. Well, you, you, you're in a dangerous business, bro. <laughs> um, well, he was an angry guy too because he was kind of like much like Jerry, kind of on the bottom, right? It was he would get so frustrated. With his partner, because his partner was this very stoic, quiet, you know, you know, da- very dangerous underneath kind of guy who wouldn't talk, and he'd get so pissed off. So he was always kind of a, getting the short end of the stick. Well, he's not a good person yeah. either, and so he, he's probably, you know, got a lot of anger. And he had been inside. beaten up by Shep Proudfoot the night before because the, the cops went to go see Shep, and Shep, you know, was p- pissed and beat the shit out of him. So, I mean, he was already kind of angry to begin with funny looking guy yeah um so that's that's something too i think the kidnapping scene because of the awkwardness of it and just the you know pure like her running around with you know which because she was hiding in the in the tub and she 
bolts out of the tub and now she's got the shower curtain over her head and she's running around like, you know, chicken with her head cut off, falls down the stairs, you know, that is upsetting because you're seeing a crime taking place. But at the same time, you're kind of like, it's, it's awkwardly funny, right? It, it was, it, it was humorous because the guys just literally walk up to the house in the middle of the day with crowbars drawn. They just walk up to a and big glass mirror. Over their yeah. head. <laughs> and, and he looks through the window before he smashes it because what's on the inside matters, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, wouldn't it have been easier to just ring the doorbell at that point? I, you know what? I, I don't know. Right. Well, but, the other guy kind of walked in the door, yeah. I mean, whether he'd used the crowbar to open the door, or the door wasn't locked because, you know, it's small town. Well, they were living out outside of the twin cities but still i mean that's that trust right that yeah. that midwestern kind of thing but you know those little vignettes are the, the little awkward conversations that jerry has with shep or or you know with with you know steve buscemi and and the other guy and 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 all that that's kind of that the comedy in it too okay okay i i can i can let i can agree with that i i don't if I was going to put a list of hundred comedies together, that probably wouldn't make it. But when I gets right down to it, I, I would probably have a hard time coming up with a hundred comedies. Really? Well, a hundred's a lot. It's mm. like two more than ninety-eight. <laughs> I mean, I've got lots of comedies. I can. I mean, you can. I can throw the the you know the softballs out there. You know, Caddyshack, Tommy Boy, Blues Brothers, things like that. But a hundred, a hundred movies is a lot. It's a, it's a lot of movies. I think you've probably seen over 100 movies in your lifetime. I've seen so, over yeah. 100 movies, but what I'm saying is when you start talking about I have to put together my top 100 comedies, mm-hmm. that's a lot of movies to put together that something like this might not make. Now, in my well, list... Especially since you have Marx Brothers and Charlie yeah, Chaplin and exactly. all that. Yeah. My, my movie list is going to be different from somebody else's. And right. since I'm not... I don't, I don't see movies or look at movies from... Uh, that standpoint, like I said, I don't like uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou that much. You love it. Well, that's every everybody who's seen that movie apparently loves it. I just didn't care for it. Maybe I'm missing something because I look at movies differently. Maybe I'm I don't know simpleton or or whatever you want to call it. It's just if if no no I'm not I'm not saying that to be <laughs> to to like to talk down to myself. I'm just saying that I, I look at it differently than Roger Ebert would. Um, apparently during the screening. Robert Roger Deaver leaned over to Gene Siskel and said, "This is why we love movies." I, I, he, they felt it was a perfect movie. Okay, I don't know if I'd call it a perfect yeah. movie. I mean, well, it's good. I think with it's the good. AFI too, they they strive to be somewhat inclusive of of the different genres, uh, not genres, but the different types of sub subgenres of comedy. Fair. So that's why I'm saying. I mean, I can I can see why somebody would sit down and put that in their list, but I was I was very surprised when I read it. Because like like I said, I can come up with a bunch of comedies that I would probably watch if I wanted to watch a comedy over this. If I wanted this 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 movie has a style and a feel to it that mm-hmm. when when you watch it that that's what you have to be in the mood for. This isn't a movie that you're going to be sitting on the sofa on a Tuesday afternoon because you're not at work and you're just going to be skipping through the channels and say, oh Fargo, eh, okay, I'll watch that. No, when you want to watch Fargo, you want to watch Fargo. It's not like, well, I think I'm going to watch Big Bang Theory. Oh, you know what? No, no, Fargo's on. I'm going to watch that. It's it's just it's it's a different feel, and uh, it probably probably better the second time because now you know I I know what's coming and I can look at other things most movies are, but it also, I think a second or a third time, a lot of that, well this scene isn't that important I'll go grab a coke or you you know what I mean because right. but still I, 
Yeah, I, you, I can I can see why this film got so much so many accolades. You really do have to watch this film. You know, it's almost blinking you miss it. Oh yeah, kind yeah, of. yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> um, um, you go. Me go. Yeah. Why? I, I well, you've got the the list of all the notes. Why? Why me go? I don't know. I, um, I mean, I, wh- what I have is just a lot of tidbits about the film. I mean, uh, there's right. I mean, there's there is a, a lot of trivia about the film. I did not look a lot of them up because I know that that's kind of your deal. Um, so I mean, I just, oh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, cine- um, this movie was. Um, and I will have to boot up my notes here because my computer went to sleep. Well, we can um, we can talk about this real quick then. Um, the 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 film is not based on a true story, even though it says that at the beginning. No, it it interweaves two real crimes it, into a yes. fiction. Yeah, yeah, which is where I was going. Um, the plot, but but the plot element of disposing a body in a wood chipper is, and uh, that was uh, done by a true life murderer of 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 Hellcrafts in Newton, Connecticut. Inspired by the true life murder of Hell Crafts, who was murdered by her husband Richard Crafts in 1986, um, which is ironic because that's probably about the year that this movie was set. Right. Uh, although no, he I disposed, I think maybe that was intentional, not ironic. But anyway, go ahead. Okay. Apparently, it was intentional and not ironic. <laughs> although he disposed of her body using a chipper, uh, enough tissue rem- remained to positively identify her as a victim. And his 50-year sentence was shortened for good behavior. And he was set to be released from prison in June 2020. So can you imagine the irony of killing your wife, being put in prison in 1987 or 88, spending all that time in prison, and then the year that you get to come out of jail is June of 2020? Because, <laughs> you know, 2020 sucked, is my point. Oh, okay. You know, you get, you get, you get out I'm of prison free. so that you can be locked down. <laughs> I'm locked down. Um, okay. Um, the other part was there was a, uh, in the Midwest somewhere, the, the, the part about the kidnapping, him, him having his wife kidnapped was also a true story. Um, the, uh, there there was a million dollars in, in ransom that was paid. Uh, the two men that committed the crime, they, they, they eventually found the, the difference was they eventually found the woman tied to a tree in a park. Uh, they were able to catch the two men who committed the crime. And they gave up the guy who paid them. They were all convicted, but the husband actually went back to court and was acquitted. And they only found four hundred dollars of the of the the ransom money. So they did take two stories and, and weave them together, which is right. pretty pretty well, smart. The other the third story. Well, see, I didn't when I in my research, I didn't find that other story. Where, where did that one take place? What one? The the kidnapping one. Uh, it's supposed to somewhere in the Midwest. Somewhere in the Midwest, okay. Because the 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 other one that they did was the the guy who was um, defrauding GMAC, um, and basically he was um, putting the money into other companies that he had, um, right. To kind of launder the money. So that was that was the other one that was the inspiration. Which um, is um, to uh, uh, what, Jerry's story. Yeah, what he did is. Um, uh, uh, what do you call it when you steal from your from steal uh, embezzlement? Yeah, uh, it's fraud, and they called it something else because he's basically what he was telling GMAC was he was selling a car, and he wasn't actually selling a car. He was giving them fake VIN numbers, right? Which I guess in '86 that might have been easier than now. Yeah, I'm sure. '86 was probably a lot easier than now. Uh, 
you could just send them a, a VIN number and they wouldn't they wouldn't right. know. But well, he was sending things via fax and stuff like that. Today it would be all done by computer. So I don't know. Uh, the federal government doesn't take emails. <laughs> if you're dealing with the IRS, you have to send it by fax. Yeah, but you would have to like probably go into like a GMAC portal, add all the information, you know, yeah. direct. Uh, I know. Yeah, that kind of application. So. You know that uh, the woman who played uh, Kristen Rude, 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 she was the wife, Jean. She was actually born in Fargo. <laughs> That's funny, eh? <laughs> you know, it's not Canada. <laughs> Maybe. Could be. <laughs> this film um, got a lot of nominations for Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, uh, Best Actress, who Francis McDormand won. Um, Best Supporting Actor for William H. Macy. Um, The Screenplay won Best Screenplay. Uh, Cinematography was nominated. Editing was nominated. Um, So it was a uh, definitely a darling. Um, This is Macy's only nod for uh, an Oscar. Um, Fargo, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Blair Witch Project were all presented as true stories when they were first presented to the public. (laughs) The uh, so she wore a a a a, bur- a, a pregnancy suit, a belly, yeah. a belly that had birdseed in it. Oof. Yeah, well, they wanted the weight. Yeah. Um, and she said that she didn't do anything any different to act like she was being pregnant. She was literally just trying to distribute the weight properly. But she left her pregnancy suit in the trailer one night, and it it froze. The, the silicone breast froze, and the next day it exploded on set. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, there's a three weeks into the shooting, the the Coens revealed to the cast and crew that it was not a true story, which is kind of funny that you would go through all that or or not research it. Oh, as an actor? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, well, you, you, would, you, would, you, you would think that if it was a true story, you'd kind of want to base yourself on the. That person? The person or whatnot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the direction that they were getting from the Coen brothers, and you would think that Frances McDormand would probably know since she was married to Joel, but... Yeah. The wood chipper is now on display at the Fargo-Moorhead Visitor Center. (laughs) (laughs) Is the foot still sticking out of it? I don't know, but I certainly (laughs) hope not. You know, this is a hard one to watch after you've seen Tucker and Dale, and you haven't seen Fargo before. (laughs) Because the Tucker and Dale scene's funny. <laughs> you know, William H-, William H. Macy came up with the idea to have Jerry rehearse what he's going to say on the phone to Wade. Yeah, that's thought, a, that was a good scene. That, which yeah. I thought was a very good scene. And um, and the way they film it, too, is great. Because you hear, you hear him before you see him. So you think he's actually on the phone. And then you're like, oh, okay. He's, you know, he's, yeah. he's trying to perfect his... They, they, there's little things that I don't catch that maybe you did. Did the scene where he's first seen talking to GMAC mm-hmm. and he's telling, you know, blah, blah, blah. did you notice that they had vertical blinds in the office windows and no. that they did that on purpose to make it look like a jail cell? Oh, okay. No, I did not notice that. And there is enormous amount of pig statuettes and little pig adorns scattered around Jerry's house. Oh, like me. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> like you. I'm like Jean. I have pigs in the house. Not real pigs. Um, Mind you, but every room has a pig. Ohio Governor John Kasich had a bio, a book that he wrote called Stand for Something, The Battle for America's Soul. He spent three pages talking about how much he hated this movie. <laughs> well, it is Ohio. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this was nominated for Best Picture. Yes. And after seeing it, I, I mean, there's a lot of Best Picture movies that I've seen that I'm like, how did the fuck did even but even go and watch this movie in the in the theater? Um, I, I I can I will say that yeah, this probably rated a nomination. It was nominated with Shine, The English Patient, Jerry Maguire, and Secrets and Lies. I've never heard of Secrets and Lies. I didn't do any research on it. Uh, the English Patient one, which I've never seen, and I never will see, even if you pick it. Um, <laughs> All I can think about is The English Patient is that episode of Seinfeld where everybody's saying they're going to see The English yes, Patient, yeah. but they're really going to go see the wacky, wacky goofball comedy. The, the, yeah. Is it the comedy or was it an action movie? I can't remember. I think it was a comedy. I think it was a weird comedy. Um, you know what? I don't know if this is better than Jerry Maguire. I think this is better than Jerry Maguire. Yeah, well, I, that's I, because you don't like Jerry Maguire. You don't like Tom Cruise. Oh, I mean, you, I... You let that slant your view of it. No, not really. Um, I just think Jerry Maguire... I think when you when you saw it at the time, you're like, yeah, it's a decent movie, you know. But after a while, it doesn't... The longevity of it, other than the show me the money... Um, the often overused show me the money um, doesn't quite or was it you complete me I think the love story and that whole Jerry Maguire is really stupid but you know I just don't think it has the longevity that Fargo does yeah but there's a lot of people who think um, God what's the crappy oh love actually everybody thinks love actually is great it's no. garbage so no it's I've never seen a, love actually is Toxic horrible. is about toxic uh, love. Um, <laughs> and maybe that's, what, maybe, that's, maybe that's what it's supposed to be. Maybe that's what they're getting at. Love is actually like this. Love, and not love is, is actually yeah. crap. Yeah. Um, and Shine, <laughs> wasn't Shine Ralph Fiennes? That was, wasn't that. Ray Fiennes? Ray. I don't, I don't know. know. I have to it. look it up. Never I think will. you're thinking of my left foot, right? No, that was Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh. My, my left foot, foot always, always gets me where I want to go. go. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I I don't I don't know how I've I've always struggled with this with the Academy, and we'll 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 divert just a little bit. I don't know how you can have a movie that gets nominated for eleven or twelve different categories and it has the acclaim that it has, and then it comes up against a movie that really nobody cared for or liked or whatever. It doesn't win anything else, but it wins Best Picture. I I I I don't get it. I, I just kind of it blows my mind. Uh, Titanic is Titanic is one of them. Titanic has at when it was out won more Academy Awards than any other movie had ever won. It won eleven, I think. I think Fargo won nine. Fargo won two. Oh, it won two. Yeah. Okay. It was best screenplay and best actress. Okay. Actress. So There's something that won nine. Anyway, Titanic won eleven awards and it wasn't even nominated for best picture now i'm not going to sit here and tell you that titanic is best picture because titanic is a take it or leave it i saw it i'm good the best part was when the guy fell all the way down and hit the prop that was the best part of the movie <laughs> um you know it was it was long. james cameron it, yeah it was long you know but I mean, but if if you can nominate best actor best actress best screenplay best special effects best director how is it not but so you know I don't know. I, 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 whenever I hear that something is nominated and it didn't win, I always like to see what it was up against. I have a hard time justifying that this wasn't Best Picture. 
sometimes you hear, oh, uh, you know, it didn't, it didn't win, but it was nominated, but it didn't win, and then you find out it was up against, you know, like Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Law, you know, which weren't, but you can see why it lost because there were so many movies that year. But this one, I, I don't know. Um. I, I find it I find it interesting that it can have such critical acclaim and really a cult following. Mm-hmm. And it just it just didn't. It also blows my mind that a movie can go out and make, you know, one point two billion dollars and it can't be nominated for Best Picture. Right. That seems weird. Right. Oh, it's not about making the money. Uh, actually, yeah, it is, because if your movies don't make money, you don't get to make no more movies. <laughs> Um, it did win Best Direction from the BAFTA Film Awards, um, Best Director at Cannes, um, the Golden Satellite, no, wait a minute, yeah, the Golden Satellite Awards, which I don't know where Golden Satellite is, I have to look that up, but Best Film, Best Director, and Best Actress, um, it swept the Independent Spirit Awards pretty much, because it won Best Film, Best Director, Best Male Lead, Best Female Lead, Best screenplay, best cinematography. See, I can, I can, I can get on board with almost all of those. It was beautifully shot film. I mean, it had some really nice, nice images. I mean, when you're dealing with like almost a very stark landscape or stark, you know, parking lots and things like that, it's it definitely is. Uh, uh, see, when tough I have to make that look interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, especially when you're having to do it when there's no snow. Um, a couple of things in this movie that I I think maybe to me overshadow, not overshadow. Okay. uh, You'll understand what I'm trying to say when I say it. The words are escaping me right now. I'm sorry. It's very early on a Sunday morning and I have my blood alcohol levels very low. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's not in its normal homostasis. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormar are, are great. In, in their role. Great. Right. But Steve Buscemi was Steve Buscemi. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, the guy is uber talented. But <laughs> when you, I, I do, you know, now Frances McDormand, way out of her wheelhouse. Not mm-hmm. what she normally does. So as you're watching her, I, I, so the screenplay made this movie very good. The actors were very good in their parts. I'm not downgrading what those, any of those actors did at all. But, if you it's it's like it's like having the perfect part for what you wrote, especially makes sense since they they wrote it for him to play it. Mm-hmm. The there uh, it's the other things that they did in the movie, the little touches that they threw in all over the place that I think is what made this movie so good. Mm-hmm. And I don't even didn't even catch them watching them. It's it's coming back and finding out the scene with Mike is brilliant. The 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 scene with Mike. The where she went to the dinner and and that's what caused her to go right, back to, right, to Jerry. Right. Well, it's hiding it's hiding a character, not a character motivation, but a, a you know that the thing that causes causes them to to look at things in a different way outside of the a plot. Right. right? But that's so, what I'm saying. That's yeah. the things to me that made this movie so good. The the fact that they had that dynamic between the husband and the wife, and yet still. He wanted to get rid of her. The fact that he didn't get a, the all the little the little touches, the vertical blinds that you mm-hmm. didn't catch. Um, you know, it just just so happened that he had the ability, all this stuff that he could put this together. He show up to meet two guys or kidnap his wife. Hey, hi, ho there, hey there, hi there, hi there. Right. I call the five types of cheese. Just <laughs> you know, it was just. <laughs> 
now you're veering into Wisconsin. No, I know. But well, <laughs> I mean, North Dakota, Minnesota, yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, hello. I, I, I think that this is a really well done movie, but I think it, it's not about what the actors did in the movie. I think it's about what the Coen brothers had the actors do and right. gave them to work with. Well, the actors nailed it. Right. And I think there's a lot of like, it's interesting as you're watching the movie because they've got some scenes where, um, you know, when Jerry is meeting with his father-in-law and his father's-in-law associates, associates to talk about the kidnapping and the ransom in this little coffee shop, um, Jerry goes to pay and you get this real close up of the woman behind the counter like, oh, was everything OK? Big smile on her face. You kind of think, OK, well, this is just Minnesota. Everybody's nice. Everybody's, you know, nice in the Midwest and stuff like that. But are they really right? Or is it just a way that people are expected to act and you really don't know behind that veneer. And, you know, so there's a little subtle things too that make you kind of question, you know, people's real motivations because you know Jerry's being um, more than duplicitous. He's, he, he's being a, kind of a scuzz in this situation, but everybody's all playing nice. Why right? Why did they do that scene like that in the coffee shop? What, what, what was the point of... Doing that close up on her was it? Be- was it because there was some other shit going on behind him? Because I felt like there was like something going on in the background that well, she was... shouldn't have been being nice, and but yet she was. No, I think she was just being nice. I think it was just that in your face niceness in the situation where he's got to be nice back, and and he's you, you know what's going on with him. He's angry right? because he's not going to get the money because well, the father, that was where the father said he wasn't going to do it. Right. No, his father, the father said the father didn't want to do it. Stan Grossman, which is his associate was. Yeah. I think you, you need to play ball. And Jerry's like, Oh yeah, yeah. You need to play ball. Yeah. You know, but he, I think there was a strain of him pretending to be concerned and worried. There's a, the strain of him not knowing if this situation is going to um, pan out because everything he seems to do seems to fall apart on him. Um, and then there's the strain of having to put up that veneer of the expected Minnesota nice, okay. right? So it's it slowly becomes this uh, thing that you take for granted at the beginning and it becomes more and more of a strain. I think that that's, that's kind of I, how I took that scene to be because she's in your face, Right. And a big smile on her face and, and, and all that, which you would normally say, oh, well, very friendly and stuff like that. But it felt menacing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. I can see that. All I right. can see that. Yeah. Cool. Um, I, I, I think they won Best Screenplay and Best Director. Is that what they won? They won Best Screenplay and Frances McDormand won for okay. Best Actress. Yeah. I can see Best Screenplay on that. Yeah. Okay. All right. There's a lot of things that I didn't read the entire screenplay last night, but I was reading through it. Um, and there's a, there was a couple of things that they tend to, they kind of cut out the extra stuff in the script. Um, like in the beginning of the movie, you see um, the car kind of coming through the snow with, you know, dragging or not dragging, but carrying the other car behind it towing yes that's the word towing it's very early <laughs> here, folks. she hasn't had her martinis um, yet either <laughs> i don't drink martinis um they didn't know that <laughs> well now they do um so tell them all about all her personal life and stuff <laughs> <laughs> um so 
and then when you see that, then he goes directly to the bar, right? You see him pulling the bar. There was a scene where he's checking into a motel in Fargo, right? To establish, you know, and I don't know what it was supposed to establish, but that got cut out. Um, it got cut out when she's talking to the owner of the Blue Ox Motel where she's trying to chase down, um, you know, Steve Buscemi's character and the other guy. And um, he, the owner kind of gets on this tangent um, where he, he, he's got all these um, trophies for like best truck stop kind of award or something like that. And he's complaining that, you know, they didn't get it last year and they think that the Radisson had like put money in and to get it, you know, because the Radisson won or something like that. And she's like, oh, okay. You know, so there's like little things I, and I want to continue going through the script is to see the stuff that they did cut out because it's very rare you get a glimpse of to what was originally supposed to be there and what's not. Well, checking so. into the hotel in Fargo makes sense because they're in Minneapolis mm-hmm. and how far away from Fargo is Minneapolis. It's got to be five or six hours, right? Four or five hours. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, so and he's supposed to meet him at seven thirty. So to go take care of business and then drive back at two in the morning in that type of weather, I can I can see that. Yeah, cutting it out. I mean, it, it's probably it, inconsequential. It, yeah. yeah, it didn't really do anything for the story. Um, I don't know. My best friend lived in Bismarck for a while, so um, that they they would go to Twin Cities everyone's like for long weekends and stuff like that. So it's definitely within driving well, distance. Well, it's within yeah. driving distance, I'm sure. I yeah. mean, I, it's probably nowhere near like from Orlando or from uh from, you know, Miami would, to Jacksonville or something cuz but it's it's um, got to be a ways. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe it's you know, like Tampa to St. Augustine kind of thing. I'll, but, I'll check I'll check it out. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, we'll check here in just a second on our break. How's that sound? Um one other thing, when he calls when Bushimi calls uh Jerry and says, Jerry, time. I'm tired of this bullshit. We're going to get this done. Get the money. Bring it over. And we'll be done in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. When he says that, there's exactly 30 minutes of movie left. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that was intentional. That's pretty cool. I think that had to be intentional. Um, do you have any interest in watching the mini the, the, the series, Fargo? Um, I don't know. I know when it came out, it, it did seem interesting but maybe not interesting enough to to add to my streaming rotation um i hear that it really takes maybe to its third season to really reach its stride um but i'm i'm assuming this is kind of like hannibal where you're kind of going through the initial stuff in the first season but i don't know no um i i did a little bit of research on it just in case people were wondering so after the movie, uh, the Coen brothers gave permission to a couple of writers to write a pilot, uh, okay. and the pilot was made, but it was never picked up, and it was, it was uh, ended up then being, uh, I think, a movie or something. They they made another movie like in nineteen in two thousand six mm-hmm. or something, but the television series uh, does not feature any of the same characters in the movie. And the first season of the series reveals what happens to the the million dollars that Carl buried in the snow. Oh, yeah. So that's, it's that's it, a good. It's yeah. more of the area and the I think and the shit that's going on in the area. Now I know the fourth season mm-hmm. has Chris Tucker in it. No, I'm sorry, uh, Chris Rock in it. Oh, really? But it think it takes place like in the 50s and the 60s um, in that area. So I I mean, after watching the movie, I'd be willing to give it a go because I think the first two seasons has Billy Bob Thornton and. Um, yeah. Somebody else in it. But uh I mean, if the story of what happens to the money would be interesting because that is the, you know, um 
and it's not the first time in a movie where you see that the thing that everybody was after kind of gets left you know yeah by the you know when and nobody knows it's there to claim it um so yeah, that would be really interesting. I just I thought it was absolutely hysterical that he felt like he would bury that in the middle of nowhere. That that was funny to me too. He buried it and then he looked around for a landmark and he's like, "Oh, I'll just put my snow scraper in the ground." I mean, because yeah. because it was snowing when he did it. When he came back, that ice scraper is probably going to be buried, but still, either that or fallen over. Yeah, but, um, they didn't name it Brainerd because they thought Fargo sounded better. <laughs> well, Fargo is more. Um, recognizable but was it before this movie yeah i would think so you think? i mean it's not it's not north dakota's capital but it is a well known i guess yeah right. but anyway i mean i think they are because that that was that was the thing that was thinking to me i was like very little goes on in fargo just the opening scene just the opening scene and in fact <laughs> when they filmed the movie zero of it was filmed in fargo right none of it uh, Minnesota and Canada and um, uh, Wisconsin. I think they filmed some in because they were chasing. They were chasing uh, snow. Yes, they were. All right. Uh, you got anything else you want to talk about with the movie? Um, I think uh, there's a few things I need to look up. So why don't we uh, take a break? And we are back. Hello. Even though back. for you guys we never left. We never left. We'll never leave you. So the distance between Fargo and Minneapolis is 235 miles. It's a three and a half hour drive. Uh, it is all interstate. I-94 East, I think they said. So maybe that's where the checking into the hotel comes from, you know, because mm-hmm. he's supposed to meet him at, he thinks, 830. So if he's there for an hour, that puts him back home at one o'clock in the morning. So Right, right. All right. And he has to get something to eat because they have, obviously have show him at a restaurant as well, eating and, and all that. So because yeah. he has nothing to eat at the bar. Right. Um, so I looked up at the break, um, the real life inspiration for Jerry, um, which was a man named John McNamara, McNamara. I believe this happened in the seventies. I couldn't get an exact date on this. Um, but he was convicted of Ponzi scheme fraud and he managed to do it through a series of loans he was able to take out from GMAC. Um, and, um, the loans, uh, he took out uh, went up to six billion dollars. That's a lot of money. In the seventies, that was a ton of money. Uh, I mean, I my maybe, maybe it was the eighties. Goodness. So McNamara got the loan by claiming he was going to buy a series of non-GM vans valued at twenty-five thousand dollars each that would be customized, pre-sold, and shipped to the country of Cyprus. Um, only McNamara owned the dealership. Uh, McNamara owned the dealership. Um, the vans were being purchased from. He owned the customization company, the shipping company, and claimed it was uh, that uh, that he claimed was sending vans to Cyprus. Um, and sixty-seven different corporations and partnerships were involved in this scheme. Uh, none of the vans were ever actually purchased or sold; rather, they floated around McNamara's web of companies while he raked the money from his loans. And that was from um, the website Decider. I'll put the link in. So in if the you're show able, notes. so if you're able to 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 scam GMAC out of six billion dollars. Why would you ever get caught? I mean, at one billion, you should be gone, Jack. Gone, baby, gone. A billion dollars in, I don't care if it's the 80s. Mm-hmm. A billion dollars in the 80s. Just go live in France. Abject greed. 
Wow. Read. Yes. Um, what's interesting wow. is the true crime claim at the beginning of the movie had several people showing up in Brainerd um, with shovels looking for the money. And there. <laughs> um, um, for those of you that can't see me right now, I'm just resting my head on my microphone. That's. Um, yeah. After the movie's release, by some accounts, Brainerd was invaded by shovel-toting uh, moviegoers searching for the buried ransom cash inspired by um, the spurious, based on a true story, announcement in the opening credits. In 2001, a Japanese woman named uh, Takako Konishi uh, was found frozen to death near Detroit's Lake Minnesota. A rumor emerged that she had been searching for the buried money, but her death was likely ruled a suicide. And I believe there was actually a film created um, telling the story of, of her. Um, I don't know, it was a documentary. I'm assuming it was. But. I, re- I read that after that, most of the people, when they left Fargo and they hadn't found the money, they went to uh, Washington State looking for the pirate ship from the Goonies. <laughs> Well, they never said the Coonies was based on a true story. <laughs> but a lot of people went looking for the Blair Witch. I, well, you know what? Lubavitch. I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, and we wonder why our country's in the state it's in. <laughs> uh, Oops. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Cohen Brothers, you are banned from making movies. <laughs> You are, you, I, that's probably one of the things that that dipshit said in that book about how much he hated that movie. Plus, also, he wasted a lot of people's time because they took their <laughs> shovels out digging for, for gold. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, box office or yeah, I have questions? You can do box office. Box office was surprising to me. Um, pick up the microphone here. Um, it had a budget of $7 million, which is really not that much. This movie was only released in 716 theaters. That was its widest release. Wow. That's not a lot. Um, at the time, in fact, let's see. Uh, oh, wow. It was, it's, it's, number, it's number 76, 75 for the year. It only made $24,083. $24,083,318. The movie above it, Scream... Uh, was released in 1994 theaters. The Craft was released in 1762. Kingpin was released in 1975. Escape from L.A. 2312. So I mean, you can see, but it was 75th, which uh, I mean, I guess 700 theaters isn't a lot, but that's still quite a bit. I mean, that's what uh, four per state, five per state. No. 700 divided by 50 would be six. Watch him do math, folks. Watch him do math. Yeah. No, listen to me, but do math. Listen to me, do math. If you're watching me do math, I'm kidding. He's um, not carrying the one. Um. It, um, <laughs> it, it, that's kind of surprising. I mean, there's some movies that beat this out. Leaving Las Vegas. Uh, that's who won Best Actor that year, isn't it? Nick Cage? Yeah. Nick Cage won Best Actor for Leaving Las Vegas. I, I haven't looked at the any of that. Yeah, 31,000, Michael, Black Sheep, Muppet Treasure Island. I mean, there's a lot of movies that came out that year. Happy Gilmore. Number one movie of the year was and Independence Day. And why not Day. Tim Curry for Muppet Treasure Island? Yeah. 
Uh, number one movie was Independence Day. Number two was Twister. Three, Mission Impossible. Four, The Rock. Oh, The Rock. I, I don't know why I thought that said The Rack. And five, The Night the of Professor. Um, so there was, I mean, there was a lot of movies, uh, but 24 million is not a lot. That's that's kind of surprising. Uh, especially, I, I'm sure that it's made it on the back end with video sales and stuff like that. Hell, it made $5 off of us the other night. <laughs> we go to Amazon Prime to watch this, which is where we watched it. And it's four. It's three ninety nine to rent or four ninety nine to buy. Uh, why? 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 Just, just. We, so we bought it. <laughs> I had to drink one less Coca Cola this week, Diet Coke. So, all right. <laughs> okay. So you want to do? I have questions. Yeah. Okay. Go you ahead. Um, I went first last week. Okay. Um. Given the kind of out there violence and, and everything in this movie was was kind of hard for me to come up with a lot the one that did um had a question in my mind is they got this new car from jerry and it kind of stuck in my mind you know because the the ice scraper does take prominence in the fact that it's the marker for where he left the money <clears throat> where did he get the ice scraper it's not like they come standard did he take, I mean, because they had a truck where they got there from the truck, but you wouldn't take an extra ice scraper from the truck, so you'd have to buy it somewhere. Well, I mean, he had to pay, for, <laughs> he had to, pay $4 to park. <laughs> Is, did, wait, did he park? Did he pay? He didn't, yeah, he paid. He didn't pay coming out of the garage after he got shot, face shot off, which is completely different that's, from the ice that's scraper the one, right, right. He question paid, that When I he had. went to steal the license plate, when he stole the, that, yeah. that scene was pretty funny too, when he was just driving around the top. Well, that, you didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, I was yeah. like, what the hell? Uh, when he, that's right. When he stole that, he paid the $4. Well, I mean, ice scrapers are what? Two bucks? Three they bucks? They are two bucks. You know bucks. what I mean? They're, like, they're not they that much. picked them up and stuff like that. It, it was funny to me too that like uh, every ice scraper you see in this movie is red. Right. Yeah. Um, here, here, here's a question that I have. Mm-hmm. All right, so we start out knowing right off the bat that he's going to have his wife kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And he tells them that he's going to pay them $40,000. Yep. Okay? But he's only going to get $80,000 from his father-in-law because he was going to get eighty and give them forty. Mm-hmm. We know that he owed GMAC 320000 right? Mm-hmm. And we know that he wanted 750000 for the parking lot idea. Mm-hmm. So why 80000 I think eighty thousand was what he was telling them he was getting, and he was going to split it with him. I think his main goal was to get more than that, and it was just what he was telling um, you know, okay. the people that he was hiring, so it looked like he was being more than fair. Okay, I got you. All right, okay, because um, you could tell Steve Buscemi was surprised that it was a more than four, you know, eighty thousand dollars in the. Yeah, a little bit. I would be too. Yeah. Uh, so. Shep is the pretty much the piece in the of the puzzle that makes it all work. Right. Right. He's, he's the connection between Jerry and and uh, Carl and Gear. Yeah. yeah. So I'm the general manager at a car 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 dealership. Basically, uh, what was he? He was the principal. He was like sales, the head head salesman head sales or, or guy, yeah. He was basically the, basically the general manager, more or less. Mm-hmm. And um, hey Shep, you know anywhere I can get some people to kidnap my wife? Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! Okay, no, don't worry about it. No, it's not, it's not a big deal. My guess is maybe he has something over on Shep, like Shep is hired, but he has like a a criminal background or something. I don't know. Who knows? Okay, fair. That's, uh, that that would be my guess. Yeah, but true. Like 
how how do you not like expect somebody not to give you up if uh, yeah i i you the know. second the second it comes down to it so he takes the car mm-hmm. from the lot right. he takes it he doesn't report it stolen or anything he just takes it right eventually that's going to come back to the dealership mm-hmm. the cops aren't going to put two and two together and say oh look car was involved in the kidnapping he runs the dealership oh look at where this money came from I mean, you. What, yeah, he doesn't what, think things out. No, he clearly. really didn't think things he, out at all. He really doesn't. I mean, and you know, in today's you know day and age, it would be super um, easy to to and quick to look up the VIN. Yeah. Right on the, but they don't get to that that car until the end, right? But they would, but but they probably would have gotten to the car at right. some point, unless just, unless they brought him the car back. But obviously, neither one of them was in intending on giving the car back at no. that point, because that's mm-hmm. why um, Guyer Guyer killed mm-hmm. Carl because he wasn't going to pay him for half the car. Right, right. So that's you know that was something. I think it's just. I think it just shows that. He is very naive in thinking that he's just going to get away with this um, and not thinking about, you know, going deeper into it. Like he's very surface, um, you know, not thinking, well, why wouldn't it work out? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Bad well, criminal. Pretty pretty naive yeah. on top of that to, to think that you can just run out, run out when the cop's in the office in your car right. and that the APB won't catch you at the hotel. <laughs> you probably should have kept driving across well, the border. My question is, you know, at the end they, sh- they have him in the hotel and the cops are um, looking for him and, you know, they break and they get the owner of the hotel to open the door so they can go get him and they pull him out because he's trying to escape out the bathroom window and they throw him down on the bed and they're handcuffing him. And I'm thinking to myself, is that how they took Felicity Huffman? Um, <laughs> oh, nice, nice. <laughs> She's still married to him, right? Yeah, yeah. She went to jail. <laughs> why? Her- why he wasn't involved? That's just so strange to me. Like he didn't know anything. Like that, he was not even implicated. It was all all the you know Lori Laughlin, Felicity husband, that had nothing to do with her husbands. Uh, well, it probably maybe they keep their account separate. Maybe. Maybe and maybe they have separate finances. Um, <laughs> if they don't have, if they can't implicate his credit cards or his cash or him being involved, I mean, obviously, yeah. just because they're married. I mean, if you go out and kill somebody, I'm not guilty just because I'm married to you. I'd have right. to, they had to prove I'm a part of it. But, maybe, maybe it was too hard. Maybe they had their names. Right. Both both you know both parents have a stake in where their daughters go to college, but who knows? But anyway, we're we're asking. I have questions about a true crime. So yeah, <laughs> I think that's all I got. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of things that I missed. Uh, you know, at the end, um, when they're doing the stuff and the snowplow goes driving by. Okay. It's at the very end when they're like arresting him and they got the cars out there and everything. Okay. That they had shut the road down mm-hmm. for, um, cause they were filming. They put signs up. That right. was a city employee that basically gave him the finger and just kept going. Oh. So he could have he could have he could have killed or hurt somebody by ignoring oh, wow. the signs. Yeah. Oh wow. Let's talk about that loose prince connection. Okay. Because that was something I had not noticed. Um, yep. As we were sitting there and the the credits were rolling and um, they were talking about the two victims, uh, or they they had listed the two victims that were killed 
um, that had witnessed uh, the cop dead on the side of the road. And it said, you know, victim one or something like that. And I'm like, is is that the symbol for Prince? You know, because that was at the time where Prince didn't want to be Prince. He wanted to be, you know, squiggle. The artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we had to look that up. And apparently he was, so, he wanted to be in the film, um, you know, based on the fact that it was, you know, largely shot in Minnesota and they, they couldn't make it happen. So they came up with a symbol that was kind of prince-like but not the prince symbol um it's kind of a i don't know i wouldn't call it an easter egg but i, th- I think yeah. that person is also the art director okay which you know right funny right. so why didn't why didn't they just leave the cop on the road hop in the cop car and drive probably because they wouldn't want to get tracked down that way. Like the the reason they didn't probably didn't put the tags on the car, right? Because you, you said at the end of this movie that, you know, had he just put freaking temporary plates on the car, he would have been fine, but he didn't have temporary plates. They, they would have yeah. been a lot finer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't, well, first of all, the person that caught him wouldn't have been brought into it. Mm-hmm. Mar- Marge never would have been a part mm-hmm. of it because no one would have been killed in Brainerd. If they'd, uh, now Wade might've been killed because he would have showed up and said, you son of a bitch, and then Carl would have shot him. Right. But they wouldn't have had anybody, they wouldn't have had the bloodhound on them. So, right. I mean, really all they had to do was put the fake plates on and away they went. So Right, right. So I, I don't know. I, I, don't th- I think taking a police car puts you more at risk. Now, driving the police car off the road, maybe, where they couldn't really find it or, or something like that's, that. That's what I'm getting at. Would have been a little bit better. Just, um, just hop in the car, drive. Mm. Don't even worry. Just leave the guy on the road if you want, because if there's nobody's right. really going to see it. Well, somebody did see it. Yeah, but somebody saw them dragging him. Right. You just hop in the car and go. <laughs> the fact that he told... Because, I mean, he's pissed at... He's pissed at um, at Carl, which is a Steve Buscemi character, because he's tried to bribe. What happens is he gets pulled over because he doesn't. He has dealer tags on the car, and he's asking for his license and registration, and he's trying to bribe him with a fifty. And um, he um, they they have uh, Gunderson's wife in the back seat, and they're telling her not to make a sound or they're going to shoot her. And she starts making noise, and that's what prompts. Um, him to be shot because he's starting to 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 notice that that sound um so they ended up shooting him point blank in the head or greer does um and so he tells carl you know you're dragging him to the side of the road and i mean it's not just get out and help fix the problem right get out but he doesn't want to because he's pissed at him right and he's kind of punishing him for that so he's struggling with the body because it's steve buscemi he's short he's smaller the guy probably weighs got good 20 pounds on him yeah um and he's struggling at the side of the road so that's the end the 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 other part too is like had he just got out, out of the car and and taken care of it they probably wouldn't have gotten caught by the the other uh, drivers and had to chase them down and kill them fair enough I think that's all I got. Okay. All right. That's all I got. Top three scenes? Top three scenes. Why don't you go? Uh, when she goes back, the whole interrogation, when she goes back to interrogate Jerry, mm-hmm. that whole back and forth. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to cooperate here. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm cooperating. Oh, oh, geez. I'll just get out and go do it. Oh, right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the, the dialogue there. Because, she just sits back down. <laughs> yeah. 
the, the, and then and then when she's like, oh geez, oh there he goes. <laughs> all right. Oh, he's getting away. <laughs> uh, the second one was when he was rehearsing what to say to the father-in-law on the on the on the phone. That's a good was, scene. That was yeah. pretty really solid. Good scene. And I gotta, I think my the best scene in the movie is the opening scene because it really kind of sets it up. And and it kind it struck me because again, I had no idea Macy was the bad guy. Right. So I was like, oh okay. Hey guys, how's it going? You're late. Oh, Shep said 8.30. He told us 7.30. Oh, I guess it was just a misunderstanding. No problem. You're going to kidnap my wife? Oh, no, no. We got to talk about you being late. Because that's what, that's what matters in this situation right now. You're literally sitting in a bar drinking beers and you're pissed off that the guy was a little bit late. Well, Shep said 7.30. Well, it's really funny. It's it's all these little... Like, he's he's a scuzzy little character, um, the Steve Buscemi character. Um, but he's hung up on... Sometimes he's hung up on manners or, or just like, pull, you know, regular polite conversation. Because one of my favorites is as when they're driving um, to, to Minneapolis, um, he gets on Greer for not speaking, right? Yes. And yes. He's, he's upset, you know, that they're not having a conversation. Like he's just one word answers and that's, you know, you've only, no, that's the only thing you've said to me. And we've been driving for two hours and, and all this and you fine. Fine. If that's the way you want to be, I just want to, I won't talk to you. That's how, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. Fine. Fine. It was, it's. <laughs> Gary Grim, Gary Grimsrud has 18 lines of dialogue in the entire movie <laughs> and never says more than a complete sentence at one time. By comparison, Carl Showalter has over 150 lines of dialogue. <laughs> it's a great little dynamic between them, but when he does it, it's almost like he's a, he's a child, right? He's very petulant in that scene and it's, it's, it's just really, really funny. Yes. Yeah. I agree. You know that Peter Stormare actually formed a band later called Blonde from Fargo <laughs> as an homage to his breakthrough American role. He actually was offered a role in Miller's Crossing and he turned it down and hated himself for it and was very thankful they offered him this role. There you go. That's good. Good. Good for him. All right. You're oh, three. Geez. All right. Well, that was one. Um, two. Which one? That when he's when they're having that argument okay. about him not talking to him, um, yeah, most of them are very much Steve Buscemi. Um, I I think any time that when they refer to Steve Buscemi as just a funny looking guy, um, because how oh well, you know just funny looking, <laughs> just funny looking. I mean, you could have said teeth, right? Oh yeah, they could have said his with teeth. He was squirrely looking. He was short. He was you know anything about it, but oh, just just generally funny looking. Just a general funny looking. You know, he looked just like that guy from Boardwalk Gangsters. <laughs> What is it? Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire. Empire. <laughs> Boardwalk Gangsters. Now that's a show. He looked like, like that guy from Reservoir Dogs. Um, <laughs> I did not like that movie. <laughs> but I mean, it, and it, and what's more funny to me is that the, the cops just go, oh, okay. You know, and not like, well, tell me, you know, did he have a beard? Uh, what, what color was it, were his eyes? You know, how tall was he? <laughs> What did he have hair? What color was his hair? You know, they don't follow up on this. Everything is taken at face value. And I think that that's pre- pretty darn funny. Yeah. Don't you know? Okay. Um, the, I mean, obviously Marge is, um, to me, a cool character because, again, she's the most uncop cop that I've probably ever seen in in film, right? Um, so the, the throwing up scene, um, was, was just, you know, no, 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 just gonna barf, you know, (laughs) it's pretty funny. But the thing is, is like, she's what, seven months pregnant? Cause they say it's two more months, right? Okay. Um, 
Do you still get morning sickness that late in your pregnancy? I think everybody's different. That was my only, you know, that was my only other I have questions yeah, that I completely maybe. forgot about. But yeah, just the, her in general. I just think that she plays this very, very fun. She's, you always, um, I always enjoy, I, I shouldn't like do the royal you. Um, I, I have always found her really um, interesting to watch in that um in that movie. I mean, it's just, I, whatever scene she's in, I'm, I'm, I'm riveted. I don't, it's the opposite, abject opposite side of what I feel when the, you know, William H. Macy is on screen in that movie. Like he always makes me feel uncomfortable. She's this reassuring presence. So I think, and, and she's, she's, she's funny, but she's also, you know, uh, just a solid moral grounding character. So that's what I got. Gotcha. I got an honorable mention for the scene where they're having the dinner. He and the prostitute are having dinner. Oh yeah. And he's like, "Have you ever have you ever been here?" And she's like, "Nope." And he goes, "She goes." He says something along the lines of, "You know, it depends on the entertainment, but you know, you got Jose Feliciano, so pff, no no problems there." I'm like, what? <laughs> this guy likes this guy likes Jose Feliciano. All right. <laughs> I like the fact that he asked her. You know, so uh, so do you find what you do interesting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right okay so i guess um i have two questions for you okay all right would you watch this film again i would i'd watch it again yeah uh i wouldn't like just sit down and put it on just because i wanted something to watch i mean i would need to probably not necessarily be in the mood for it but it's yeah it's it's a good movie i'd, I'd like to watch it again probably just to see the stuff i missed yeah. 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 I think that that's probably something too that you'd want to watch and just kind of take in um, the kind of layering because the Coen brothers are, are very famous for that. It's just very subtle in their filmmaking. So I'm, I'm kind of bad about not really liking a movie sometimes the first time anyway, but then going back and really liking it. Um, some of the movies that I do really love, I hated the first time I saw them. Anchorman was one of them. Yeah. I didn't I was... like it. I didn't like Ace Ventura the first time I saw it. Now it's a fantastic. Uh, Step Brothers. I didn't care for Step Brothers the first yeah, time I saw it. Yeah, we and watched now it's that together. Of, and now we it's one like, of my favorite movies ever. So yeah, that's a may, family movie. It's may, our family movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just something that I don't know. You, it, it hits you the right way. But I, I did. I did like this. This wasn't. This wasn't bad. Okay. And my second question is, uh, what is your choice for me, honey? What should I watch? Well, I, I don't know because I had um, I had one locked and loaded. Uh oh. And. Uh, I I almost feel like I should continue a theme, but I almost feel like I should continue a theme now. So, I'll ask you: comedy or drama? Oh God, um, drama. All right, No Country for Old Men. Oh, we're going with another Cohen Brothers. Yeah, we'll movie. just we'll just All go right. ahead and we'll string it together. More names way, I can't pronounce. Yeah, that way. <laughs> that way, Javier Bardine. That way, we can be mortified two weeks in a row. <laughs> So no country for old men. All right, no country for old men. That sounds like a uh, a date. Yay, a date. A date where we don't leave our house. We don't leave our house much the entire last year. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So if you want to follow us on social media, we are at Instagram at Honey Watch This. We are at Twitter at Honey Watch This. Um, we are also on YouTube. Um, you have to just kind of search for us, honey, comma, you should watch this. Um, we do not have enough followers now for a, um, 
custom URL. So sorry about that. You know, so uh, get on there on on YouTube. Okay. Um, so, uh, get on there and subscribe. So yeah, you can see us and the, uh, the interrupting cats and, um, (laughs) these are all the other, uh, craziness that, uh, goes on in the background. The weird faces we make, things like that. Um, if you are new to the podcast, uh, we urge you to subscribe. Um, any major po- podcast platform, we are there. If you are listening to us on Apple uh, Podcast, you can uh, do us a favor, give us a little rate and review. Um, you can reach through, out to us through any of our social media. Um, if there is a movie you would like us to um, both watch and uh, talk about here, we are happy to do that. Um, if you are another podcaster, um, we welcome other podcasters on our podcast. Uh, just uh, let us know what kind of movies you want to see and uh, we'll set something up. Well said. There we go. All right. All right. We'll see you next week where we talk about the uh, disturbing movie No Country for Old Men. Ah, more death. (laughs) More death. Yep. (laughs) Bye. Bye.